Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. I was going to say that I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving, and that's not to say you couldn't have and weren't entitled to, but I know for a lot of people in this country and a lot of people around the world, it was not that at all. And I want to just begin the show before I get into the meat of it, of which there is a great deal, express my sympathies and condolences to anyone whose family members, friends, anyone who lost their life or was injured in the horrific attacks on Israel that took place over the weekend at the hands of Hamas. It was a very well-orchestrated attack, clearly. It's been called, understandably so, Israel's 9-11. And there are a great many questions that need to be answered, such as how Israel, which has such a sophisticated military defense system, intelligence network, did not see this coming, or if it did, was not adequately prepared. Those questions, I believe, will be answered and must be answered. But let us not let those questions distract from the most important part of this, which is being able to look at this and say definitively and unequivocally what happened. This was a series of terrorist attacks by a terrorist group committed in the most barbaric and brutal way possible. I'm talking, of course, about Hamas. This is not just me saying it's a terror group. Canadian officials have recognized it as such, as have governments around the world, in the Canadian case, for the better part of two decades. This is not something that we can or should both sides, as we're seeing so many of the chattering classes do in the last few days where they try to say, well, yes, you know, I don't like innocent life being shed on either side because you actually have to delve into the meat of what people mean when they say that. For example, this is a comment made by one of the speakers at Edmonton's pro-Hamas rally, uh, referring to the fact that in his view, no one in Israel is a civilian. Let me explain this. There's no civilians. There's no civilians. First off, any Israeli is under the Israeli law should enlist and serve in the Israeli army. There's no civilians. They're either on or off duty army forces. They're not civilians. And if they're civilians, what are they doing in the border? What are they doing in a contested border? If they are civilians and they care about their livelihood, they should stay away, away, away from the border. Why would Israel put civilians that are not Israelis on the border. If it's a border and you know it's contested, let your civilians leave. No Israelis are civilians. I, I'm going to get into that in just a moment, but I just want to first establish the context. What this man is saying is that every Israeli, in his view, is fair game to be a casualty of war. Hamas can go in and kill any Israeli without needing to worry about committing war crimes by unfairly and summarily killing Israeli civilians because, oh, well, there are no Israeli civilians. It's a very convenient argument. It also happens to be a load of crap. Now, yes, many Israelis are in the IDF or are reservists after completing their military service, but many, in fact, most Israelis are not. People who are over, I believe it's the age of 40, people who are minors, people who are exempt for religious reasons, such as being Orthodox, are not at all members of the military in any way whatsoever. And surely we could perhaps say that infants 
can qualify as civilians. You may have seen this clip going around. It is a news report from I-24. Take a look. It's hard to even explain exactly just the mass casualties that happened right here. In fact, the Israeli military says they still don't have a clear number, but I'm talking to some of the soldiers and they say what they've witnessed as they've been walking through these different houses, these different communities, uh, babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said. Gunned down, families completely gunned down in their beds. You can see some of these soldiers right now comforting each other. Babies with their heads cut off. Now, I should qualify that clip by saying this is a reporter conveying what she was told by Israeli soldiers. But I will also say that uh, photos have been seen. I have seen some of the photos, and I will not make you go through that process as well. If you're really inclined, you can look them up of people who were given such a fate at kibbutzim in israel and this is again i would say to the person in edmonton that stands up and says there is no israeli civilian will you extend that to the infants whose lives were lost because of the hamas terrorism would you say they are fair game in this conflict this liberation movement because that's exactly what's happening people like fred hahn who is the head of qp ontario uh, tweeted this out on the weekend a nice little thanksgiving greeting that he is thankful for the power of workers and the power of resistance because resistance is fruitful and no matter what some might say resistance brings progress and for that i'm thankful now i don't use profanity on this program or on social media generally speaking in fact i did a bit of a search and i think i've dropped the f-bomb once on twitter up until this morning when i asked mr hahn and he's not responded if children being beheaded was an example of the effing resistance that he is so grateful for on this thanksgiving as I said, no response just yet. We have had, and I'm very grateful for this, a relatively unanimous condemnation of Hamas and Hamas's actions from political leaders. Justin Trudeau and uh, Pierre Polyev both gave a very thoughtful and very moving, and I would say very unequivocal remarks speaking last night at an event in Ottawa to show solidarity with the people of Israel. I'll, I'll play both of those because I think it's important to give credit where it's due and say that the federal government, while it has done a number of things incorrectly on this, has ultimately said what it needed to say as far as contextualizing what Hamas is and what its actions are in relation to those of Israel. This is what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had to say glorification of death and violence and terror has no place anywhere, including and especially here in Canada. So let me be very clear. Hamas terrorists aren't a resistance. They're not freedom fighters. They are terrorists. And no one in Canada should be supporting them much less celebrating them. Very well said. We'll get to who it is he's referring to in just a moment. But just to give the other side of it, here was Conservative leader Pierre Polyev at the same event. In starting my remarks tonight, let me be explicitly clear. Hamas 
is not a militant organization. It is not an activist organization. It is surely not a government. It is a sadistic, demonic, genocidal, terrorist death cult. And it must be defeated and destroyed. The incredible carnage that this terrorist death cult has unleashed in the last 72 hours would be bad enough were it not for the apparent pleasure and sadistic pride with which it was carried out. And so I say to those who might not perhaps have strong opinions about the Middle East, what kind of organization would carry out such hideous violence against such obviously innocent people and do it in the most cruel and odious manner and then willingly publicize it for all the world to see. This is evil in its purest form and that evil must be defeated. Now, why those comments are important is because the narrative that we see, which is at its core, I believe, coming from a pure place, when people say, you know what, it's the civilians on both sides that are caught up on this. What they're missing when they say that is that this is not a both sides war. This is not the Axis versus the Allies. This is not Russia versus Ukraine. This is not Armenia versus Azerbaijan. This is an insurgent group. This is a group of terrorists that are attacking Israeli civilians predominantly of the death toll, which has uh, eclipsed, I believe, 15, 1600 at last blush. The Israeli side of that is predominantly civilian. The captives are predominantly, if not exclusively, civilian. The babies who were beheaded, according to multiple reports, were civilians. The concert goers who were raped and murdered were civilians. So the number of people that are making comments like this one from a professor, who else? Professor Emil J. Joseph, who puts this brilliant observation ahead for all to see. Post-colonial, anti-colonial, and decolonial are not just words you heard in your EDI workshop. That is equity, diversity, and inclusion, or I believe more appropriately, diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion, and equity, or DIE. These words are not just academic theories. No, this is post-colonialism, decolonialism, and anti-colonialism in action. That's what they want you to believe, that all of this, all of that stuff they've been talking about in the classroom that people on the right have liked to criticize and have been called racist for criticizing, that's what this is. We should all be celebrating it. If you're committed to leftist principles like decolonialism, you should be up there cheering for Hamas. That's what these people are saying. That tweet from Fred Hahn that I mentioned earlier on when he lauds resistance. Sid Ryan, another big labor guy and a longtime NDP activist, uh, actually condemned Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, for daring to condemn Hamas terrorism. This is what Sid Ryan had to say. 
WTF are you talking about? Palestinians have lived with Israeli terrorism for the past 75 years. They're indiscriminately slaughtered by Israeli forces without any condemnation from the NDP. You are such a disappointment. So even when someone like Jagmeet Singh stands up there and says, you know, uh, despite my leftist principles and my criticism of Israel, I can accept and denounce this as terrorism. That is not sufficient for the diversity, equity, inclusion, or post-colonial left. You'll hear a lot of people use a bunch of slogans and catchphrases. In Australia, when the pro-Hamas demonstrators were assembling, they were chanting, gas the Jews, which is not exactly what you hear in your average post-colonialism workshop. But you'll also hear this one, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now, yes, it it has a good meter to it. It's got a good cadence. It rhymes. That's nice. But from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What does that mean? I want to go back to basics here and do a bit of a geography lesson. I know the Middle East quite well. I've been there on a couple of occasions, in particular to Israel, but I've also been into uh, the Palestinian Authority-led West Bank, which is on the opposite side of the country. But let's put up a map for you. Now, this is not a sophisticated or contentious map. This comes courtesy of Google Maps. I took the screenshot myself. That big giant blue bit on the west side there is the Mediterranean Sea. Now, on the right, uh, just after where it says West Bank, you'll see like a little small uh, area of blue. That's the Dead Sea. Now, the line going north from the Dead Sea and the line going south from the Dead Sea, that is the Jordan River. Uh, Jordan River, very relevant in history. You can read all about it in the Bible. Uh, Baptisms in the Jordan River are quite common even today among Christian pilgrims. That's the river. The Mediterranean on the west is the sea. So when they say from the river to the sea, they're talking about the entirety of that area, which is the, as it happens, entirety of Israel. They want Israel to be obliterated. They want it to be destroyed. They do not wish to coexist. They do not seek a two-state solution. They seek the annihilation of Israel and of Israelis, and yes, of the Jewish people. This is a stated purpose of the Hamas Charter. So absolutely, we should call this out for what it is. We're not just talking about people that are standing up for peace, that are standing up for the innocent civilians who are caught in the crosshairs of the conflict. And yes, whether they are Palestinians or Israelis should be supported and should be left out of it. But there's a bit of a difference because Hamas actually loves Palestinian casualties. Hamas loves dead Palestinians. They love dead Gazans. The reason why is because they get to turn around and use that as an excuse to take aim at what they see as Israeli brutality. This is why Hamas will launch rockets from civilian apartment buildings, why Hamas will put its headquarters in office towers that have have offices run by completely non-Hamas businesses there. Because when Israel turns around and takes aim at Hamas infrastructure, Hamas wants to be able to use the innocent people as human shields, as tools in its propaganda. Israel goes through painstaking lengths to avoid civilian casualties, its own and the people of Gaza, which is why they provide advance warning, both through uh, overhead announcements and also through, I believe, mass text messages they send out to phones in a particular area to warn them that an airstrike is imminent. Now, of course, they're also giving the warning to the terrorists who are able to relocate and pack up and move on. 
But this false equivalence that people do that, oh, well, yes, it's Israel on one side and Hamas on the other side, just two sides of the same coin is absolutely despicable. And it shows a complete lack of knowledge of anything and everything to do with this conflict. Now, I don't expect everyone to be an expert, and I will be the first to admit this is very complicated. It is an incredibly difficult part of history to understand, to go from the uh, partition that was proposed by the United Nations in 1947 to the Arab-Israeli War, to the Six Days, Six Days War in 1967, the Yom Kippur War in 1972, to the Intifadas, all of them, to the current conflict. It is tremendously difficult. To understand the difference between the West Bank and Gaza, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas is difficult. It is also difficult to reconcile the reality that exists for Gazan civilians who, yes, I am completely sympathetic to in understanding how difficult, if not impossible, it is for them to leave where they live. But you also have to understand the problem from Israel's point of view. Israel used to have much more of a presence in Gaza. About 15 years ago, they made the decision to unilaterally disengage. They said, fine, we will pull out of Gaza altogether. We'll patrol the border around it, and that is it. And what has happened since then? Hamas has become the de facto government of the area, and not just this militant group, but they have become the authority or the claimed authority for the people of Gaza. Any aid that goes to Palestinian civilians has to go through Hamas. Hamas is profiting off of the philanthropy of the West, which is something that is not often spoken about, and the UN is absolutely well aware of. So whenever people stand up and speak in general terms about Palestinian liberation, when they use terms like by all means necessary, by any means necessary, what they are defending even if they don't use the words, is the beheading of infants, the kidnapping of seniors, the murder, the indiscriminate murder of Jewish and Israeli civilians. That is exactly what is at stake here. Now, there was a, another clip that I, I wanted to share from you here, or for you here, which is from Melanie Jolie. Now, I gave Justin Trudeau credit for being unequivocal in his condemnation of Hamas. Uh, Melanie Jolie yesterday was doing an interview on CBC, and she failed to give a clear answer on whether she condemns these pro-Hamas protests. It took three There have been calls for your government to condemn these protests here in Canada. Will you do that? Well, we know that according to Canadian law, the Hamas, uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. So, of course, we don't support it. Um, and at the same time, we've always been clear um, when it comes to um, uh, our relationship with Israel. So the position of our government uh, uh, stands. At the same time, there ho have been hostages. Hostages must be released. And like I said, Civilian lives must be protected. So these will be difficult days ahead and right now and ahead for Israeli people, for Palestinian people, for Canadians, for the world. And you Canadians can know that the government and the prime minister and, and myself are absolutely engaged 24-7 on this issue. But, 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 Minister, what do you say to Canadians or other people in this country who might go to a protest uh, that, that critics say is purporting to celebrate 
what Hamas has done. I mean, should these protests be happening? There have been some calls by others to, to maybe find a way to prosecute this over supporting terrorism. I, I don't know if, if it goes that far or not, in your view. Uh, but what is your message to Canadians that might attend these protests, given what's happened in the last 48 hours or so? No, we don't. We don't support Hamas. We don't support also what they've done, and we don't support hate speech. That's what I can tell you. And meanwhile, of course, the Minister of Public Safety will do its work, working with local authorities. But do you condemn the protest, Minister? I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. There have been calls directly for the Prime Minister to do it, uh, because well, he's not here. I, I'm going to ask I'm, you. I'm, but David, I'm answering your question. Of course, we can't support the celebration of Hamas terrorist attack. Of course, we don't. So we don't. She says she's been answering the question, but actually, I mean, she never really got to the question. She said, we don't support celebrating Hamas, but it was a very clear question. Do you condemn these protests which are supporting Hamas? And she didn't really give an answer, despite her own party leader, Justin Trudeau, being more clear on this issue. Now, I don't, I do not believe that this is a case of Melanie Jolie or the Liberal government secretly being pro-Hamas. I believe it is a case of having a foreign affairs minister who is so utterly inept that she cannot answer a clear-cut question. These people are celebrating a group that the Canadian government says is a terror group. Do you condemn them? Yes or no? Well, uh, yeah, you know, I don't like, uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, a, it's a, just yes or no. It is, there are very few questions in politics that are as easy to answer as that. You shouldn't need to have rehearsed the line to get that answer right and to actually give a clear answer. But that's the problem that we're dealing with in Canada. And it's not all that surprising that Canada was left out of this one joint statement by five countries. Now, this is the so-called quint which is the five countries uh, that are part of this network that have nuclear weapons or access to nuclear weapons through uh, sharing agreements with NATO. I Italy is the one there. But if you look at this statement, what's fascinating is that Canada was not invited to be a part of it. The leaders of France, Germany, Italy, United Kingdom, and United States of America released this joint statement, and Canada was not on the call. Now, people have said, well, yes, but Canada's not part of the Quint. But why was this not being brought up in the auspices of the Five Eyes? Why was this not a G7 statement? Why was Canada, which is, as a matter of policy, a pro-Israel country, not being included at the big kids table in the international discussions about Israel? That's a question for which we don't yet have an answer. Uh, Melanie Jolie, some, I have not verified this, but someone pointed out that the backdrop that she was coming from didn't seem like a Parliament Hill office or a ministerial office. I also note that Justin Trudeau today is off to Yellowknife, and I, I don't mean to besmirch the people of Yellowknife, but when you're being a leader in the midst of an international crisis, you'd think that flying off to the remote north might not be your top priority. And yes, you know, he's presumably going to have cell reception on the plane and up in the north, but that's an area where I'm like, perhaps our prime minister should be in Ottawa right now helping manage this crisis as it comes. So all of this right now is, I think, contributing to what is a very real problem. And uh, Jewish people in Canada, this is not just theoretical for them. This is something where uh, the people I've spoken to that have family members and friends who have either been forced to leave their homes, who have lost people in their lives, who have themselves died or been injured, it's not a short list. 
the connections between the Middle East and Canada on both sides of this are quite significant. And even among the pro-Palestinian demonstrators, many of them may have family, and I'm sympathetic to any innocent people that are caught up in this conflict on any side of it. But I'm also not going to both sides the conduct. And this is something we've seen far too much of. Uh, Janella Massa, who is a former, I believe, CBC anchor, had tweeted out before she turned her account to protected mode, uh, this lengthy, lengthy thing here where she says that agree with the tactics or not, you can't talk about this war without basic context. She says it's not unprovoked and as though there is a debate to be had about the tactics of uh, the news about beheading babies hadn't come out yet, but the news about kidnapping and raping uh, teenagers had. So uh, kidnapping seniors, we knew about that. Uh, are we going to just say, oh, well, you know, maybe I agree or disagree with those tactics? No, that is a load of crap. A few years ago, I was in Israel. It was 2015. I was on my second visit there, and I was there with a group of journalists, uh, Candace Malcolm. It was actually one of the places where I got to know her well, because she was on that trip as well. And we sat down at one point with a Palestinian talk radio host. So I was going to say he's the Andrew Lawton of the West Bank, but I don't actually want to claim that comparison for obvious reasons in a moment. Now, he was a very candid guy. He said he would love a one-state solution, because if Palestinians and Israelis were all in one country, you give it a generation and Palestinians would have outbred the Jews and they would have a Palestinian state once and for all. But beyond that, at the time, there had been a spate of knife attacks where uh, there were Palestinians that were going into Jerusalem and were just stabbing Jews in the street. Maybe they'd injure them, maybe they'd kill them. But this was happening with alarming frequency at this particular point in 2015. And he was telling us this story of when he put that to his audience. Is it okay to kill Jews in the streets? That was the, like, imagine Harrison Faulkner doing his comment question when he asked you to weigh in on an issue. And the question that he's polling, that he thinks is contentious enough to have divided opinion on is, is it okay to kill a certain group? That's what was being asked on this West Bank talk show, I believe broadcast out of Ramallah. Uh, nevertheless, he said to me very proudly, most said no. Most. So there was a large enough contingent of people calling into talk radio saying, yes, murdering Jews in the streets is justified. This is why Israel has to insist on a border with the Palestinian territories. This is why uh, people in Gaza have been put in the situation they are in. And it is absolutely gut-wrenching that people are held up in this. But the reality that you've seen circulating on social media that I think is an important one to reiterate here is as follows. If the Palestinian people, and by that I mean the militants that are fighting for that cause, the Hamas and the like, if they were to lay down their arms, there would be peace. If Israel were to lay down its arms, there would be no Israel. I'll let that thought sit with you as I move on from this right now. I, I do want to turn to a related, although distinct aspect of this, which is that we were in the midst of an international crisis. People were trying to figure out if their family members were okay. They were trying to get on top of it. And if you were in Canada, you had a heck of a time getting access to this news on social media, specifically on Facebook. Now, if you were a Twitter user, there was actually a high volume of content coming out of the Middle East over the weekend. But 
on Facebook, there was nothing. News links were banned because, yet again, Bill C-18 has forced social media and tech companies into the untenable position of having to cut off the flow of information to avoid being strong-armed by the government and by the legacy media outlets. Chris Sims is normally with us on Mondays, but we had a bit of a day off for Thanksgiving, so she's with us now. Uh, Chris, obviously a horrific context for this, but whenever a crisis happens, it brings around, I think, exactly why C-18 has been such a, a dangerous piece of legislation. Exactly, Andrew. Uh, you and I have spent enough time in newsrooms, both uh, legacy media and our current, whatever our new media is that we're talking on right now, to understand that uh, the government shouldn't be screwing this up. And they're at risk of screwing it up even more. And C-18, as you point out, we already see its effects with Facebook. So people can't, you know, share news links, uh, they can't comment on the non-existent news links and therefore share more information with each other. They then can't basically gather and grow and, you know, commune with each other and share, share this information. And in more Canadian Taxpayers Federation contexts than normal times, that would usually mean something like about the carbon tax or being mm -hmm. able to recall a politician who was, you know, not keeping up their end of the bargain. But in this current context, it really puts into perspective how important it is to be able to have access to information and news media that you need. Now, Google is saying, yeah, you know what? We're probably going to side with Facebook here and we're going to do the same thing. So we have a deadline. I think it's December 19th. Okay. It's coming up very quickly uh, with them saying, we're not going to have links, news links to news stories posted on Google anymore. I'm curious. Google owns YouTube. Like, does that mean that there won't be any more news links on YouTube? Like that is how a lot of people, especially for my daughter's generation and a little bit older, that's their understanding of screen time. Like mm -hmm. they don't have cable. They didn't grow up with bunny ears the way I did. They don't get any other form of, of information superhighway. That's their superhighway. What happens then? And so this is why we're saying the government needs to back right off of this C-18 because now it is directly affecting Canadians' access to information. And, and I would just say on the Google thing, I mean, one of the points that I stress to people of all, uh, of all political persuasions mm. is to never trust one particular source. I mean, I am oh. very proud of the work that I do and I stand by it and I, I love that people trust me and come to True North for their news. But I say you should verify anything and everything, even the best meaning people get it wrong. I, just to give one very pertinent example of this, at the beginning of the show, when I wanted to get the latest death toll, I went to Google and I said, Israel, Gaza, death toll. And I got four or five articles and I checked every single one of them to find the number. And there were distinctions between there based on the age of the story. So if Google were to take away those links, I would have to go to an individual site. I could go to the New York Times or BBC or Al Jazeera, True North, CNN. I, I could do that, sure. But I, I lose that ability to get that cross-section which is exactly what the internet has been great for. And you move this to a Twitter context. Now, for the most part, X, as it's now called, has kind of managed to fly under the radar of the C-18 discussions, but it's not exactly clear that they'll get a pass on this. No, it's not clear they're going to get a pass on that. 
And remember what feels now like a million years ago, like last Tuesday, (laughs) when C11 was really stomping all over us uh, when it comes to things like podcasts and online shows? We need to stress that this isn't just podcasts. This is online Mm -hmm. shows. And does Twitter slash X now qualify under that? Well, why wouldn't it? So their spaces are live. Um, It's interactive. People are constantly getting interviewed on them. In some cases, it's hundreds of thousands of people listening. Uh, They they hope they have web uh, videos on there all the time. They have audio on there all the time. That's content. That is content according to what everything I've ever read under CRTC definitions. So then what happens? And to rewind, if people are missing what I'm saying here, remember back when C11 was passed, folks like you and me and Andrew and like lots of folks, you know, not lots, some folks on the left in other podcast spaces were also warning about it as well, that C11 would alter Canadians' ability to choose what they want to see, hear, and share online. Now, it was floated as part of Canadian culture, Canadian heritage, the CRTC is just going to make sure that you see enough of CBC gem promoted and enough moose meat recipes and ice hockey scores and all that great Canadian stuff. But the insidious and troubling part of this is that once you give the government the chance to regulate and downgrade what's visible to you, you've given them the ability to make things invisible to you. And so that means that Canadians, no matter where they're coming from on the political spectrum, will have a limited amount of news. Now, there's two regulations that have been released last week. The CRTC said, you know what, Um, any online body, to paraphrase, that hosts podcasts or programming or content now must register with the Trudeau government, the CRTC. Why? Because they're going to regulate them. The risk here, Andrew is that why would big tech do this in the same way that meta said no thanks to c18 and now we can't see news on facebook why what's in it for these big companies with the fractional canadian audience by comparison what's in it for them to put up with this headache with the canadian government it's very likely that they could just say you know what we're switching that part off and then we'll be in the dark Yes, and I would also point out i mean when you discuss chris and i think it's a very valid point that i hadn't really gotten to round of thinking of in this particular context of promoting Canadian content. Well, we're talking about an international crisis that's happening right now here. I would say the highest value content in terms of understanding what's happening on the ground is going to be content that's produced closest to the source. When you log into YouTube, it's going to give you the CBC version, the CTV version, the global version. And that's not to say those outlets don't have stringers that they're using and reports from there, but it's a bias against everywhere else in the world that is being baked into the system, which is not the way the news is supposed to be. No, and that's not the way that the internet has been mm-hmm. for since it started. It's always been um, in addition to and other than. So it's always been the ability to go straight to the source and watch something live, literally from somebody's phone now. that You can just watch it happen. And so that has always been kind of the great equalizer. And again, to your point, by all means, Watch legacy media, read legacy newspapers, watch alternative stuff, make up your own mind. The point here is now you're going to have the less and less and less ability to be able to check the internet and see what the news is and read what these alternative news sites are saying and watch these videos 
maybe right from the place that it's happening and make up your own mind and choose. And so this is where, you know, to try to put a smile on people's faces, that's what former President Reagan meant when he said, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, you know, no scarier words. You know, this balance of alternative or independent online news media and legacy media and legacy media's ability to share links on the internet and get its broadcast message out there, that was working fine. That was working fine. It didn't need the Trudeau government to come in there and fix and help and do stuff, but it has. It's neck deep in it now. It's making a terrible mess of it. And they have got to realize this. They have got to stop and realize, whoa, we're doing way more harm than good here. We are limiting people's ability to get information. Sorry, we're backing off. That's what they need to do. Yes, and I, I want to just speak on behalf of an independent outlet here, which is True North in my context. And I think we've had in the last few years a, a level of growth we're very grateful for, but we're still a, a small outlet that's unknown to a lot of people in Canada. What we rely on as an organization is for one of our stories or one of our shows to go viral and people start sharing it so it attracts new eyes. People that wouldn't necessarily go to www.tnc news in the morning to check out what's happening in the world that learn of us that way. And that's what this has killed. It's killed that organic growth. No, they haven't taken us offline. They haven't banned us from being accessed just yet. But what they have done is they've limited the organic growth and they've limited the organic growth of videos that you might do at the CTF. And they've limited the organic growth of outlets out there that are independent in nature that I've never heard of. Because CBC, CTV, The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, they have enough I mean, street cred, to, for lack of a better term, they have enough name recognition that there are people that if you just tell them to go to a news website, they're probably going to remember one of those and go to it. We don't necessarily have that to the masses. They're established. Yes. That's why they're the establishment. And that's why this is alternative and it's growing and it's new. So exactly to your point, Andrew, like, that that impulse you have, say uh, you're talking to a normie friend of yours who's part of your family. Maybe you I don't have many normies or I friends, know. but carry on. <laughs> they, many of them have bailed on me as well, too. So, <laughs> but say, say one had one <laughs> and say one we're talking about it over Thanksgiving dinner. That's where you can, that's that sort of impulse of that share, 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 that sense of sharing on Facebook, sharing on X sharing on the internet, uh, being able to share that information and that article with your friends and family and old former colleagues and maybe high school people that you've been in touch with. Like, that's the whole point. That is the whole point of sharing information. And now our access to information is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And there's no good reason for it. Like, I need to stress because sometimes people just coming into the middle of a conversation might wonder, like, what kind of stuff are you guys wanting to be watching on the internet? Like, what are you afraid of? No. We're not talking about heinous criminal things, like terrible things that people want to be sharing on the internet that are against the criminal code, okay? Those things are already illegal. Andrew, if you and I started promoting that garbage right now between the two of us, we could be criminally charged in Canada for mm -hmm. doing such things. That is part of the criminal code. That is not what C11 is about. C11 is about Canadian heritage. It is about content. It is about culture, okay? And that is the risk here.
because they're trying to squeeze and stifle that, okay? And that is what is squeezing your access to information here. And then we have something like C18. So it's like this two-headed monster. We have C18, which is now literally blocking our ability to see and share news on one of the biggest social media platforms in Canada. I think the last stat I saw, something like 20 million Canadians have a Facebook account. That's enormous. And now they can't see news on it. And now Google just announced, you know what? We're not playing this game either. We're going to take our ball and go home. Folks, you need to contact your MP. I know there's a lot going on right now, but you need to tell your MP, hey, my access to news and information is a voting issue for me. You guys got to get this all repealed. Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Andrew. All right. We will see you next Monday at the regular time. I just want to, on the note of freedom of speech there, talk about uh, very briefly this rally situation that I, I mentioned earlier on. When you had people demonstrating across the country, I was going to say Canadians, but to be honest, I don't know how many of them are Canadian citizens versus just residents, but you had people in this country preaching in some cases some very radical and very hateful things. Now, I saw a lot of calls over the weekend to shut these things down, to uh, ban these protests from taking place. And I vehemently and unequivocally objected to those. I uh, made a comment on Twitter, which I can't remember the exact wording of now, but I basically said the answer to these things is to let them expose themselves, let them express their vile beliefs and their anti-Semitism, and then denounce it, condemn it, call them out, do whatever you want to respond to it, but do not prevent them from speaking. And I've had a, I mean, it's triggered a discussion that I think is a very interesting one. And I even had a, uh, I won't say who it was, but I, I had one person who is in politics reach out to me and say, you know, they didn't like sort of the implication that I was accusing them of censorship, which, which was not my intent at any individual person or, or group, except to say that there was an impulse that I saw, which I didn't like, which is to take these vile, heinous things and say, we need to shut them down. Now, I want to provide a bit more nuance than my initial tweet on this offered up because there is in Canada a legal restriction on freedom of speech. There are several, but when you're talking about inciting violence, inciting hate, incitement is the key word here, there is a criminal threshold that exists. Now, I do not profess to be a lawyer. I couldn't tell you exactly how that line is drawn, except to say that it is a very, very high bar. And to be honest, I think outside of direct threats against individuals or groups, I have a very difficult time wanting to invoke those sections of the criminal code. So when you get up there and say, I believe that it is justified for Hamas to do what it did, I think that is disgusting. I think it's hateful. I think it's despicable. I do not believe it is or should be illegal versus someone getting up and encouraging other people to engage in that act. And this is a very difficult and uncomfortable distinction because ultimately to support free speech means you are defending the vilest forms of expression imaginable. But I will tell you what I've said time and time again, you do not need freedom of speech protections for unobjectionable speech. You need freedom of speech protections for heinous speech. But I can say that glorifying terrorism and glorifying terror groups is very, very, very close to the line. In fact, you can say it's teetering 
on the line. And there's one woman who knows the hatred directed at the Jewish people very well. And that's my colleague, Sue Ann Levy, who joins me now. Uh, Sue Ann, I, I want to talk about the pro-Israel rally that took place last night. But, but I also want to get your take on this because you've covered uh, these groups and these protests for years. None of this vile anti-Semitism from the last few days can be at all called new. The only thing that might be new is some people are paying attention for the first time, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's uh, a great part of it. I, I, look, Andrew, uh, I covered the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the insurrection in 2020, and uh, the hate speech that came out of school boards and universities and from the activists was just over the top. At least now people are paying attention, although the people who espouse, uh, I guess, glorifying the heinous crimes that happened in Israel, and we keep hearing more and more every hour, uh, try to hide in the shadows. And uh, I have found some incredible things. They use social media. They social media, uh, and Israel knows this well, social media um, is where some of the war is being waged, not just out on your television set, not just out in the battleground, but certainly on social media. And they use social media very, very well to espouse their views. Make no mistake. One thing that I, I wanted to ask you about is that, all, I mean, to be honest, I, I'm amazed at how explicit some of these calls are in the last few days, because oftentimes from the academic set, they try to hide their real beliefs behind language. I mean, one distinction mm -hmm. you'll hear all the time is, no, 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 I'm not an anti-Semite, I'm an anti-Zionist. And uh, yes, you can oppose Zionism without being an anti-Semite, you can criticize the government of Israel without being an anti-Semite, but I find in the majority of cases, the people that hide behind those words are in fact anti-Semites. Well, I think that the IHRA definition has changed that. That's the International Holocaust Remembrance definition of anti-Semitism. And anybody who obsesses about the Zion about the Jewish state and about Zionism and use those precise words, that's just a cover-up. That is just what they're, they're using words dressed in the guise of anti-Semitism. And I remember, I mean, I've been covering this for years and years and years, ever since the queers against Israeli apartheid marched in the pride parade back in 2009. And I remember when you couldn't dare mention that these people were anti-Semitic. Oh, no, 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 they were just criticizing Israel. Well, now you can call them for what they are. And in fact, there's a very wise lawyer out of, New well, she was out of New York City. She's now living in Israel, Brooke Goldstein, who's involved in the Lawfare Project, mm -hmm. you know, and she actually, I attended a seminar just a few weeks ago when she spoke, she was the keynote speaker, and she said, just call it for what it is. Like Black Lives Matter, we should be calling it end Jew hatred. And that's what I've been doing over the course of the last couple of days. Hashtag end Jew hatred, because that is what it is, pure and simply. The fact that these people who are protesting in downtown Toronto or in downtown Vancouver or in Montreal can, glorify the horrendous, horrendous crimes that have occurred, even chopping off the heads of 40 babies. I mean, I heard that this morning, it made me cry. Uh, they can glorify this. There's nothing short of anti-Semitism and, and let's not couch it in anything else. One thing, I, I mean, you mentioned queers against Israeli apartheid. And I mean, this mm -hmm. sounds like something out of a South Park sketch because it's so absurd. <laughs> yeah 
that uh, any you know queer identifying individual doesn't realize that there's only one country in the Middle East in which they have rights, and that is Israel. And uh, you know, I would love to see the gay pride march through Gaza City. I would love to see the gay pride march through uh, Riyadh. Uh, every now and then, they march gays through the streets of Tehran before they execute them. So why? But but like this is the the obvious point. It's the low hanging fruit of this all. Mm-hmm. Why do they not see this? I mean, people like Fred Hahn, who's a very uh, open and passionate advocate for gay rights as a gay man mm-hmm. himself, like he does not exist in the society that he is trying to basically aid in the Middle East right now. They deluded themselves into thinking that they're they're anti-oppression activists. They've deluded themselves into thinking that the, you know, they're helping the oppressed, but they're ignorant about the geopolitics over there. They refuse to admit or refuse to see that Hamas is the one who's governing the Gaza Strip, who's oppressed the Palestinians and Hamas and and all of the Arab states that surround Israel would chop off your head, kill you, push you off a balcony for being gay, openly gay. And in fact, it happened to one person just a couple of weeks ago. This person who identified as gay was actually killed, killed, his head chopped off, believe it or not. It is gut-wrenching. And I I think the Mm. only saving grace of this all, such as it is, was seeing how many people have, despite all of this, come out and supported Mm -hmm. uh, Israel through this. I know you were in uh, Toronto last night at the Mm -hmm. vigil there. 20,000 people came out, Mm -hmm. which is astronomical. And I mean, Justin Trudeau, whatever my uh, misgivings about his government's handling of a number of files, he struck the right chord last night, as did Pierre Polyev. Uh, What was your take from that event? It was tremendously moving. They had people speaking from Israel, talking about what they're experiencing, how they're living in bomb shelters. They... stopped short of showing the footage of some of the atrocities, but spoke about them. And I have to say that all of the leaders from the provincial um, premier to uh, Krista Freeland and Mayor Olivia Chow and some of her councillors, all of them came out and spoke words of support. Uh, Doug Ford was the most moving. He was on fire and uh, I've got to give him a lot of credit for what he said. Um, But uh, just being my wife and I said just being amongst all these people um, and crowded into uh, Mel Aspen Square, there was tremendous police security, I have to tell you, Uh, Mm -hmm. but just being crowded into that square amongst people, like-minded people who are suffering, we're mourning. We're mourning. I didn't lose any family, but Israel is my family, is my homeland, and I feel tremendous ties to it. My wife has family there, and we're keeping in touch, but we all are mourning. We are all disheartened. And I can't begin to tell you how upset we've both been all weekend, as is my family by all of this. Well, I'm glad uh, that, uh, you know, the family that uh, your wife has over there are are okay, given the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I I know that will not be a flash in the pan what's happening there as as some of these other flare ups have. This is going to go on for a a while. And I know you're going to continue reporting on it. Sue Ann, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome, Andrew.
All right, Sue Ann Levy. We'll have more coverage from her through the week at True North, TNC.news. And I will share some of my own. We're already over time today, but I'll, I'll share some of my own reflections on Israel itself and, and why the country means so much to me tomorrow. Uh, it's not because I'm on the take as some paid Zionist shill, uh, despite what some of the people in the comments are trying to uh, say. No, I will support Israel without receiving a dime uh, because it is the morally right thing to do. But uh, in the meantime, my thoughts and prayers to the people of Israel and to the people, the innocent people in uh, the Palestinian territories, in Gaza specifically, because yes, this is not uh, meant to be callous or cruel. I believe that they are suffering, but I also believe we need to have a level of realism in how we deal with and understand this conflict. And you can't do that if you're devoid of the history of this region. So uh, more as the week progresses, my thanks to you all for tuning in. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.